Hello, and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. I will say, um, driving around this week, I mean, everybody's probably from here. You're at the Tyler House of Faith, and and it's not. I don't, I don't think it's limited here. It might have happened in Lindale and some other places, cities around us, but. I've never seen, and I don't think anybody that lives here has ever seen the level of destruction that hit our town this week, you know what I mean? Um, the amount of, of trees that were uprooted and landed on houses and ancient you know, trees. I think the, the tree that was cut up at Dory's house was, I think they figured it was at least 120 years old. It's like a grandfather, it was, and it was so massive, you know? Um, but you know, several, several of the trees, you know, one of the trees, an old oak in my yard, that's outside of my daughter's window. They share a real big room in the front of the house and it's like, that thing got uprooted. And luckily, a live oak that we have in front of the house caught it. Almost, it almost looks like a baseball mitt. You know how those, those live oaks kind of look? They, they just start going to the side as soon as they come up. It looks like a baseball mitt, but it kind of landed into that. And, and there's something to that old dead tree being removed, but the tree of life remaining. Yeah. And um, that's the distinction of what we're celebrating this year, um, or this time of year, I should say. And I guess it was this resurrection that we are celebrating um, is, is something that's um, 1,992 years ago in history about, you know, somewhere in that ballpark when Jesus actually came out of his grave. But there's, there's so much more to the story and it's a daunting task. So I'm gonna, I'm going to cliff notes it because I thought of doing something different today, but I feel like um, it is so important for us as a body and us as Christians, as people, to actually understand historically how this whole thing, um, if you will, how it cracked off, how this thing started. Because even as they opened in worship today, singing about heaven come, this prayer that Jesus prayed, that's so common to us, Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. In other words, distinct be your name. Separate be your name. In other words, God's name had been attributed to something that was not God and still very, very much is. And that's this bipolar deity, this pagan God of religion that had actually crept in to God's actual people. And it's still very much there. And so your name be separate from that. You know, hallowed be your name. And then it's like your kingdom come and your will be on earth as it is in heaven. So we, we pray this, we see this, but we don't understand the, the capacity of Jesus. This is, you know, Luke 11, hey, would you teach us how to pray? It's like pray that heaven invades earth. Pray that something greater than this place be manifested on this place. And um, it can be just it can be so repetitive to us that we don't understand what that's actually meaning. But let there be an alien invasion, you know? Not a war of the worlds, but in a sense, a war of the worlds. That'd be a funny title for this. Uh, you know, but it's like, let heaven itself come on the earth. In other words, heaven had been shut out of the earth. We think man had been shut out of heaven. He had been kicked out of the garden. But in reality, man's decisions had shut heaven out of the earth. See, mankind was created right? In the image of God, right? On the sixth day of creation. And, and he was created as the image of God in the earth, 
with a mandate to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. In other words, Eden, or heaven that was planted on earth, wasn't over the entire earth. It was Eden in the earth. But man was called to cultivate it and actually grow it all over the earth. That, that term, be fruitful and multiply and subdue, like, it was militant. You know, I think we, we kind of lose that sometimes, but it's like, hey, take this whole rock over, this planet over, you know? And, um, you know, if, if, if you really want me to tell you what our kids have been learning... I think it would be good. And what they're probably learning today, I know that they were learning last week because I remember when Kat was talking to me about what she was, uh, you know, they were actually doing um, the crucifixion and these different things. Um, it's like when my daughters have asked me, once they became old enough to know like, wait a second, he died? He died? Like, whoa, God died? Like, wait, how did this happen? It, it was like a shocker, you know? Because we didn't have, we don't have crucifix crosses and bloody Jesus hanging pictures in our house when they were babies for be like, yeah, that's just, just, just ingrained it in their minds or like, yeah, that's, that's our deal. That's what we're about. Um, you know, so it was like when, when, they, when, when they realized and started to ask them the questions, like, well, why? He, wait, he was killed? Why would anybody kill him? Like, what, what happened here? And it, and it comes back down to the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil versus the true fruit of life. And it's like people were poisoned to believing God was something that he was not. They ate of the fruit of that tree and it poisoned not only them, but everybody who would be born of their lineage for all time. It entered into mankind the imagers of God and changed, it sought to change their image to someone else's image. And it caused them to have this knowledge of good and evil, but they started to view God who was love, who was kind, who walked with them in the cool of the day. They started to view him through this mindset of good and evil. And so now God, they were afraid of him and they hid from him. They were ashamed of themselves because they, they, they saw him as both good and evil. This, they saw him uh, bipolar, something you cannot trust. And they were afraid. And all of sickness and all of anger and bitterness and jealousy and all the pain, it all came in through that very poisonous fruit. However, God actually had a plan to come and redeem mankind. And that's the brilliance of the whole thing. He literally comes down embodied as a human being. The fullness of deity was embodied, it says. The fullness of the Godhead, right? The fullness of who God is was embodied in a person, the Son of God, Jesus himself. And he came and he lived, and, and his plan was, was to, yes, was to redeem mankind, was to redeem them from that poison that had steered them and contorted their image to something that it was never supposed to be. But there was something else he was coming to do. And he was coming to heal that crooked vision that saw God in a way that it was not supposed to see him. It came to show him, he, you know, Jesus was the Lamb of God. And see, we understand some of these terminologies as Christians now that he paid for this sin. He, he wiped it away from us. He's actually redeemed us. But he was also the word of God, the Logos, the firstborn of many brethren. He was the, the express image of God. He was the expression of everything God is for us to see what he's like. Because in that, the imagers would be unlocked. Seeing him as he was, it would transform us from the inside out. You know? And so we have this, this reality that's, for our kids even, that's not rooted in this bipolar God who, who you know, this, the father actually sent the son and, and, and 
and let out his wrath against the son because he's just and he needed payment for sin in order to forgive, which is not really forgiveness. That sounds like a payment and a transaction to me, you know? It's, it's, it's rotten to the very core of the theology of it. And we've brought them into this, this theology of the victorious Christ, and that's what we're celebrating today. What the actual Bible talks about him being, you know? In 1 John 3, 8, it says, he, Jesus Christ was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. He actually loved the world. He actually loved us. And it wasn't punishment. Was he in our place? Was he taking all the effects of the sin and the fall upon himself? Absolutely. And he was also revealing us who he truly was. Because in that 2 Corinthians 3.18, when we see him as he actually is, not as bipolar, we are transformed from the same image from glory to glory. It's all about seeing him. But you can't have one and not the other. You know, around the world, we can have that one aspect today that he died in our place, so to speak, but not have the, not have the other that Jesus is the fullness of God walking around embodied and everything that God is, is Jesus. If you don't have that separated from that bipolar, well, the, God, the, the angry, wrathful God sounds like a pagan was, was taken off his stripes on the, on the Son of God, and he was shielding mean God from us. You know, when, when that's ingrained in our kids, we, we grow up with a double-mindedness that actually never knows God, and it causes us not to be transformed into his true image. You know what I mean? It's a whole other thing. It's actually a whole other religion, to be honest. It's not even the same. It's not a different theology. It's a different religion. And heaven, just like in the very beginning, heaven had been shut off from the earth by mankind's decisions. And now Jesus comes back not only to actually pay for man, to come back into his true lineage, to come back as a new and improved version of mankind, you know what I'm saying? To reveal who God actually is to man, to unlock him, but also to restore the mandate that we had in the beginning to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth, release Eden over the entire world. Our Father, we're back in connection. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Let heaven come to earth through us. That's, our, that's the game. And we have all these, you know, we can have these scriptures and there's, there's books written about scriptures like, um, what, Romans 4, 25, I'll flip over there. And it's just like we understand that Jesus was crucified for, he was delivered up for our offenses, but he was raised because of our justification. There's entire, you know, debates and books written on justification, but justification literally just means like he was raised from the dead. He came back from the dead to prove that it worked. That's what it means. As evidence that what he had done, it worked. And so when we're celebrating today, man, we're not celebrating like, oh, you know, I hope I've been good enough. We're celebrating Jesus popping out, showing himself to people saying, it worked, boys. It worked. I told you it was going to work, but it worked, man. You know what I mean? Oh, my gosh, it worked. The craziest, almost the dumbest plan that looked like the biggest failure of all time was actually the wisdom of heaven. First Corinthians 2 says, if the, if the rulers of this world, the principalities and powers of darkness, all these spiritual legions that are more intelligent than humans, the majority of them, we don't think that, but they are, if they would have known what he was doing, they would have never crucified him because they didn't know who he was. Right. The Son of God, there's many of those, but he was, he was the 
monogenes. He was the one-of-a-kind son. He was Yahweh embodied, y'all. You know what I mean? And they played right into his hand. You know that Matthew 13, 44, like he kept it hidden. It's like a man who found this treasure in a field, but he kept it secret and paid everything he possibly could for that field and rejoiced about it. It's like he valued and loved us so much, God did, yeah, that for the joy that was set before him, he actually endured the cross. Despising the shame, it says, meaning things like he didn't even think much of the shame. It's like, it, that wasn't even a big deal to him. It was so joyful for him that he kept it hidden, kept his identity hidden, and actually came and redeemed the whole world. And then he pops out of the grave playing guess who on everybody. That's what happened today. Him and a whole lot of other people. Because, see, the Jews had understood. They understood the first half. Right? They understood heaven's not on earth anymore. Eden was, and it's not anymore, except for at one place. You know, Moses went and he, got, he goes up on top of the mountain and he gets all these designs and these things from God, uh, you know, and he, God breaks the people out of Egypt and he builds this tent in the wilderness. We know it as the tabernacle of Moses, the tent of Moses, you know, Solomon ended up reconstructing it and making it really nice, you know, like TBN level nice, you know, gold all in it and all that. Um, but, but the tabernacle of the windows, it, it wasn't about what it looked because it, it looked weird because God doesn't give a rat's about what it looks like on the outside. On the, but on the inside, the Jews understood the temple, the tabernacle in the wilderness, that was the only place where heaven and earth touched. That was it. Because it had been shut. Now we understand what Colossians 1.21 says. We were once alienated and enemies in our mind by wicked works. In other words, we weren't really separate from God. The veil was actually our brains. So mankind coming out of the Garden of Eden was like mankind coming out of this dimension of the reality of heaven on earth and feeling separated from God. Look it up. But the, the tabernacle, the tent, the tent in, the, in the wilderness, about as high as this building, 15 feet, you know, it's like there were all these religious hoops they'd have to jump through. There was a laver in it to wash themselves and, and, a, and a sacrificial altar on the outside. And then you walk in, there was the menorah, the candlestick, which the sevenfold spirit of God representing the Holy Spirit, the showbread that they would eat, right? You know, the, 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 the incense that they'd have to light. And, and, and in that room, when they'd walk into that tent, there was, there was the Garden of Eden was there. Heaven was there. In the fabric of the walls was sewn um, um, palm trees and stuff, really beautiful stuff. All these cool colors, the purples and blues, and, and the palm trees and, and, and angels were sewn into the into the uh, into the walls. They were it was decorated like it was being in heaven. There was angels. There was in, in Solomon's. There was the palm trees and stuff. And there was like there was angelic beings that were like lion faced and man faced. And you know it was just it was an it was an experience. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but uh, you couldn't really go in there unless you were part of the priesthood. And they only went in there to make atonement for the people, to keep them protected from the other gods. That's what it really was, to keep them aligned as God's people. Um, and, but in the back of the tabernacle, there was, there was this large curtain that was thicker than a phone book that you couldn't rip, like the power team. It was this thick, large curtain that, was, that separated the back. And in the back was the Ark of the Covenant, right? It was the, the Ark that they would carry, and they called it the mercy seat. In that back portion of the tent, was the very presence of God himself would come down, heaven itself, once a year on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, when they were coming in and sprinkling the blood um, for the atonement, the covering of the people. And 
in that in that back portion they would meet God but it was like God's presence was there but there was this mercy seat which was actually the, the Ark of the Covenant if you've seen pictures of it you know it's this golden box that had rods that uh, wooden rods they'd have to carry it with because nobody was even allowed to touch it and it had these two angelic beings facing each other on it you know you know kind of you see them their their wings kind of popped over like that kind of looking at each other was the way it was descriptive and so it was this beautiful artistic representation of the only place in the world where heaven and earth still met and all the sacrifices and all the offerings one it was actually for the people in the priesthood but the majority of it was actually to create sacred space in that actual tabernacle a lot of the sacrifices were actually to make the tabernacle cleansed so that heaven and god could actually be there once a year in the minds of the people and this is how this thing worked and so the jews understood this man like eden the tabernacle it was reduced to to that one spot and only once a year was it truly there? But man, the great reversal of that one spot was Jesus being crucified. And that, that place that they knew as heaven on earth being torn back open. Let heaven come. And it was just like, hey, mankind's been out of that, out of its orig our original purpose and calling and destiny. But now that veil is ripped. In Matthew 27, verse 51, that's the last thing it's, it's recorded there when Jesus breathed his last breath, right? It's like Matthew 27, 50, and then it goes into 51. Um, it says, he cried out and yielded his, his spirit after crying out with a loud voice. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth started to quake. So Jesus breathes his last breath, and that veil, that that's incredibly thick that separated mankind from God except say for the high priest was ripped from the top to bottom and and this and they did not know this for three days but that was actually heaven being opened back up it was like the dividing line which now we know now we know is I'm tapping on my head for the listeners is, is between the ears we were alienated and enemies from God in our minds it's just like our it was like a, a corporate mind-blowing that happened in Jerusalem in those days because people were shook the the disciples were scared to death they watched their leader and they're young younger than almost all of us and they watched their leader be completely trumped up on charges and killed in front of them and i can't believe the bad guys got away with it but in reality jesus played right into the hands of it because he was doing it on purpose but they had no clue absolutely no clue and they did not know that heaven was open right but they found out real quick and the first one that founds out is a girl you know what i mean because there's something about i'll pour out my spirit on all flesh your sons and your daughters will prophesy that all these male female you know all these class systems that we have that are just a joke all this all this stuff that we have to god means absolutely nothing you know what i mean <laughs> And so Mary Magdalene shows up in John 20, uh, yeah, John 20, and shows up Sunday morning, um, and they're like going to anoint the body again, and you know, just absolutely not expecting anything, even though Jesus had forecasted what was going to happen to his disciples, told them he was coming back. They never really fully got it. And he told them this, I'm telling you this now, but you're not going to understand it, but you will later on, John 14, which is so funny to me. But Mary Magdalene literally shows up to the empty grave. 
and it, show, and, it, and, it, and it talks on the first day of the week, that Sunday morning, that resurrection. So when the sun came up and she was out, she literally shows up in John uh, 20, verse 1 and 2. And um, she saw the stone, this immovable stone had been actually removed from the grave. So she runs and tells Simon people, uh, Peter and the other disciples, they've taken him away. You know, like this is, they're, they're in such a place of pain and injustice. Now they've taken his body away. You know, she's just super upset. And so, you know, everybody tries to, tries to go, you know, they come to the tomb. It's funny because there's a race apparently between Peter and John and John wins. And John writes that in his gospel. Like I beat Peter there because I was faster than him. It literally says that. It's just like, what a couple of clowns, man. They're so like, and, and, the, and this one, you know, one disciple actually beat him there, you know, and walked in before him. But then, but then Peter got there. He walked in first. And um, so they didn't know what happened and they just kind of left. But it says in verse 11 that Mary stood outside the tomb and she was crying. She was just broke. Which I get it. And um, as she wept, she looked into the tomb. And what did she see in verse 12, John 20? She, she sees two angels sitting there. And, and if you can see it, Jesus has come and he's wrecked the whole sacrificial system of Judaism. He's, do, he's completely done away with it. He's just fulfilled it. And he's, and he's even torn the veil spiritually between heaven and earth. And so the, the place where it was only reserved for the high priest to go in his very presence, none of that exists anymore. All of it's wide open to him. We can go boldly before it. And she walks in to what would be prophetically the holiest place where God was with the two angels on top of the box facing each other. And she sees them actually in real time sitting there, not golden statues. She sees two angels sitting on the heads and the feet of this little bench, you know what I mean? Sitting there just kind of like, I was like, why are you guys, what kind of things are you? Like, you're just sitting there? What are you smiling? You know what I mean? They're just sitting in there at the heads and feet of where he had been. And they ask her a question, which is like, what are you, robots? Like, why are you weeping? <laughs> why are you crying for? Like, what do you know? She said to them, because they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they laid him. Now, when she said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was actually him. And he said to her, hey, why are you weeping? What are you seeking? But she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, um, Sir, you've carried him away. Just tell me where you've laid him. Um, I'll take him away. And he interrupts her. Like, in other words, don't play a game with me. I know you work. Just tell me where you put him. You know? And he goes, Mary. And um, it says, she turned and said to him. So in other words, she wasn't... She wouldn't even look at him, just like, just tell me where, you, uh, you know. And um, she lunges after him. She, she, of course, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you know what I mean? And he's a, he calms her down and says, hey, go tell the guys that you saw me. And it's this beautiful thing. And I love that they did that song that they wrote today. I, I hear you calling my name and it sounds so beautiful because her, her name being called by the Lord after she thought it was gone, done. Can you imagine the failure than just being like, what voice could be better there, you know? So there's that, but, you know, it's just like, but he's, 
we think of Jesus as just being serious. Maybe you watch that little show, TBN show or, you know, the new one everyone likes where I don't know. But what it is, if he's anointed with the oil of gladness above all of his brethren, right? That means, that's a fancy way of saying Jesus is extremely happy and joyful. That's just who he is. That's the fruit of his spirit. God is love, and the first fruit of love is joy and peace and patience. It's, it's written there like the happiness and the joy of God is, is a real thing. You know what I mean? And so um, the language of joy to me is laughter uh, and, and everyone else. I think that's, you know, it's, you know that's what happens. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and the expression of joy is a smile. Um, and so he, he manifests who he is. And he asks her this question, woman, as if he doesn't, you know, he doesn't even, why are you weeping? And who are you seeking? Do you think that he actually knew why she was upset? You don't think he forgot about it three days later, do you? <laughs> you know what I mean? So you can see God is, uh, he's having a bit of fun uh, with Mary here, who's in the worst state. And can you imagine the level of excitement this people that he loves that he's also close with, like, oh, this is going to get, this is going to be good. <laughs> there she's at the, t looking in, the angels are talking to her, like, I'm going to walk up next to you. <laughs> you know what I mean? You walk up there. <clears throat> Woman. Why are you weeping? Well, who is it you're seeking? Sir. Mary. <gasps> you know what I mean? It's like, bam. You know what I mean? So here's God, the embodiment of Yahweh, you know, behaving this way. Oh, so mature, you know. Um, but then he says what? He says, go and tell... Tell the guys. Go tell them. And so she does. She, tell, she goes and tells a group of guys, a group of the disciples. One of them is a guy named Cleopas. And it shows that they didn't really believe what she was saying. Yeah. Because they still were, their hearts were still kind of hard to the fact that this was the plan. Because yes. that's, not, that's not a possible plan. <laughs> Remember Lazarus, guys? You know, but it's just like they just weren't there. So... You fast forward in that day, today, 1,992 years ago, and um, the disciples are there in a group. Some of them leave, and they're, for some reason, in Luke 24, uh, these, these two are traveling to a road to a city called Emmaus. And it's the first day of week. It's early in the morning. You know, the women have already done this. Uh, they've, had this they've, they've had this exchanged. Um, so two of them hear this conversation with Mary, and they leave that day like, man, this is crazy. Because it's not like, yeah, he's still there. Go to the, I'd go to the garden. Where is he at? You know what I mean? He obviously wasn't there. He was doing something. And so um, the, the disciples, these two disciples in, in Luke 24, 13, are walking to Emmaus. It's a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem. So not far, but, you know, decent trek. It says, as they were walking, they were talking about these things that happened. It's called trauma. They were traumatized from those, you know, two and a half, three days before that. It says, So it was while they conversed and reasoned with himself that Jesus himself drew near and started walking with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they didn't know him. So here, here's the gardener again. Here's, here he is again, not allowing them to see who he is. But he walks up and he asks a question. What kind of conversation? What is it that you guys are talking about? Luke 24, 17. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said, he starts to vent to the guy, 
And he says, are you the only stranger? Can you imagine smarting off to the Lord and not knowing it was him until later on? Like, what kind of an idiot are you, man? You know, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things which happen there in these days? Which, of course, Jesus plays right along with it. And he says, well, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, mighty indeed. Before God and four people, and the chief priests and the elders delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we were kind of hoping that it was him that was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Which is so funny that he said, and, and you know, it's been three days. Yeah, buddy, you think that might be important? You know, he kind of told you all that. But he's like, yeah, not only that, certain women who are of our company, um, they, they came and arrived at the tomb this morning early, and they astonished us. Because they didn't find his body, but they came and said they saw a vision of some angels and saying he was alive and all this stuff. Man, I don't know. Certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see him. So we're just kind of, we're just kind of baffled, man. Then Jesus speaks up. Oh, so foolish not to believe in all what the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ have had to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? It says, in beginning at Moses and the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. People call this Christ preaching Christ, which is amazing to think this guy who looks like a stranger to them is walking around telling them out of the Old Testament. Don't you remember what it says? And, you know, doesn't you remember what it says here and here and here? And don't you think that's what, that's what this was all about? And, th and their minds are like, oh, my gosh. We've, we've, man, we've stumbled across. This guy's really sharp. He, he really knows some things. Wow. I haven't thought of it like that. But they drew near to the village where they were going. And it says he indicated that he would have kept going further, which is so great. All right. Good, good talking with you guys. This is not my stop. Like he was just, yeah, you know. Now, you know. But they restrained him. They constrained him, saying, Abide with us. Stay with us. It's almost evening. The day's far spent. You know. It came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they knew him. And then he vanished. You know. Why do you mess with people like that? You know. It's just like, hey, let's. And, and he, he did what he used to do. And then they're like, oh my gosh, it's you. And that must have been why he was there. Because he was gone. So they rose that very hour. And so they're, they're headed back to go talk to Peter and the guys. Like, oh my gosh. Because remember, it's, late, it's getting late that night. It's not really safe to travel at night back then. And, and they're like, we're going back, man. We are going back. So they rose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. And then guess who shows up to that party? Here he comes again. You know, John 20, verse 19. It's the same story. Jesus actually shows up that very night, late in the night, when the doors were shut and the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. So they're still huddled around, traumatized. And he manifests himself. He walks up into the house that's locked. Like, wow. He must have had a spare key or something. I don't know how that works. You know? But just he just, bang, materialized up in there. 
and he says, peace be with you. In other words, he freaked them out so bad by showing up, he had to calm them down. That's what that is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, okay, it's okay, okay, okay. As the Father sent me, I've sent you. And he breathed on them. And this is Yahweh doing Yahweh things. This is a new man happening. God forming man out of the dust of the earth and breathing on them, giving them life. They becoming alive. Like, hey, breathe on them. Come alive. And it doesn't say much more about that interaction except for one of the twin. One of the uh, disciples named Thomas, they call him the twin, who was one of the twelve, wasn't actually with them. And so um, when the other disciples, it says in, in John you know, 20, 25, came and talked to him about it, said, we've seen the Lord. <laughs> he was so, let's say it, disappointed. You know? In other words, like he was, how bitter would you be? If your whole team saw the Lord resurrected and you didn't. I'm breaking this computer right now. I'm mad. I'm like, no, I missed out. He came back to you. And now he's gone. Surely it was, an, sure it was a vision. You know, what was it? Oh, no, I'm not. No, not good enough. And that's what he says. No, I'm not, I'm not doing that. He says, unless I see his hands. And in his hands, the print of the nails. And put my finger into the print of those nails. And put my hand in his side. It's like we watch from a distance his side gush out. If he's still got that, if I get to touch that, if I don't, I won't believe. That's John 20, 25. People call him Doubting Thomas, but I think he's just, I think he's just butthurt Thomas. I think he's just super just bummed out because like, ah, you know? And I probably would have been just like him. It says, after eight days, the disciples were together again. So over a week later, eight days of like them talking like, I can't believe and I can't, he breathed on us and they're just sitting there just jealous, getting mad. <laughs> Blue on your face. Breathe on me, breathe on me. You know, like y'all, y'all, y'all. Yeah, you're all special, I guess, huh? Yeah. You know, ticked. Eight days later, they were inside again. This time Thomas was with them and Jesus came. The doors were shut and he stood in their midst of them. Imagine a group of you standing around and, so, and then all of a sudden there's one more person. Like, Yo, gosh, you're freaking me out, you know? And he said it again, peace be to you. Like, hey, like, okay, everybody calm down. But he looks over at Thomas, and this is brilliant. And he says, hey, reach your finger here. He's like, come here, Thomas. Put your finger in here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand in here. Put it into my side. Come here. And he, and he gave him the very thing his heart wanted. But it's also, it's like, we think, oh, he got rebuked. You know what I mean? It's like, man, take, your, take the religious weird brain out of it and realizing like, hey, I'm not leaving you out. You're going to have the experience too. You're going to experience me too. I know what's in your heart. Like, Come here. Huh? Touch it. Holding his arm on. Go, touch it. Here. Punish. Touch that. Go ahead. It feels weird, doesn't it? You know? Yeah. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. And I love what Thomas said right here in verse 28. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Yes. And that's the thing right there. This is, this is the mind-blowing uh, reconnaissance mission. This is everything happening. This is like, yo, heaven's open back. And guess who did it? Me. I protected you guys from my mean dad. No. No, 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 no. 
I did this. And he's like, my Lord and my God. That's not, they don't talk to him like that, y'all. Nobody did. Nobody knew. Nobody knew that level. The guy who wrote this book, John, knew that level because he, you know, he couldn't die and they exiled him to Patmos and next thing you know, he's getting caught up into heaven and he's seeing Jesus. And Jesus is literally saying, I was, I'm the Alpha and Omega and I was dead and I'm alive again. Well, which one is it? You're the Ancient of Days or, you, or did you die like a human being? And he touches John and says, come on, stand up, buddy. It's me, your best friend. When he falls down like a dead man and seeing him. And John comes back and writes this account and he starts it off with, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And old Thomas, we call Doubting Thomas, was like, my Lord and my God. The first one to hit that one home. You know what I'm saying? Their minds were like, oh my gosh, Yahweh. These Jewish guys, this messianic king that's going to be born of the line of David, and he's going to throw the Romans off our back, and Israel's going to be a world power again. You know, Cleopas is like, we thought we was going to restore the nation to prominence again. It's like, yeah, you thought wrong. He was actually not even playing by those games or by those rules. He was literally coming to redeem all of mankind from the separation that was in their mind. He was actually coming. The blood of that lamb was going to cause you to be completely spotless and you know, completely and totally redeemed as if the, the fall never touched you. And his body was going to be broken as all the penalty of the fall was going to be put onto him so it doesn't have to come through your lineage. And now you can be in the inheritance of your father and God. You know, it's crazy. And not only that, the way heaven was, was separated from mankind, it's like he came to tear that veil to where it would come back in through the earth, through people. And so John 1, when he's telling the disciples, like, you're going to see this, you're going to see angels ascending and ascending upon the Son of Man. So he's saying, my life is the actual portal of heaven that actually causes heaven to be brought into the earth. And so the disciples are sitting around remembering all these things that he's told them, remembering all these different aspects of stuff that he's done, and all these little riddles and these different things. And it's like, oh my gosh, it was him. It was him. It's like, we were trying to call down fire on people. It's like, that was God we were with, dude. Yeah. Moses and Elijah were meeting him. Like, that was, dude, that was him. Yeah. It was him. But it wasn't just them. The heaven was torn open over the whole city. And that's one of the things that I love to do. That verse in Matthew 27, 51, that we started off with, when Jesus breathes his last breath, if you just read it, we'll just read what actually happened. In Matthew 27, 51, we'll do 51, 52, 53. The veil of Jesus yielded up his voice. It says, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earthquake and the rock split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Hold on a minute. There was a mass resurrection that happened when Jesus was resurrected. And so the disciples are getting a dose of Jesus who seems like he's playing games. He's popping in and popping out. And he's coming in ways and forms that they're not used to seeing him as. He comes and cooks breakfast for him on the beach. It says no one dared ask him who he truly was, John, 1, John 21, because it's like they knew who he was. He was training them to say, hey, you've been capped by seeing everything in the natural, you've got to learn to see me by the Spirit. Because I'm so much more than the Jewish guy you've been following around. 
This whole thing's bigger than you've thought, and it's about heaven invading earth, and it's about it happening through you. But he, the disciples weren't the only ones getting this lesson. Because he breathes his last breath. It's, there's, it's like there's a three-day split. He breathes his last breath. The earthquakes, rocks split, and graves start popping open. And it makes me think of our town, how all these trees that were toppled this last week, you know what I mean? Just like, just wreck shop, and everybody knew it had happened. But then that verse right there that's in every single one of your Bibles, Matthew 27, 53, coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they, they went into the Holy City. They went to Jerusalem and appeared to many people. And there's people that have heard this message their whole life, and they're just like, wait, that's in our Bible? Like, yeah, like, there's like a mass number. Hundreds of people broke out of their graves and were running around in Jerusalem. Three days later, they were seen. When Jesus was being seen by his disciples... And meeting them on roads, meeting them in tombs, meeting them on the beach, showing up in the houses where the doors were locked, so were other people. It says saints, people that were followers of his, some hundreds, some thousands of years before, were actually showing up to people in town. Can you imagine if the cemetery over, uh, you know, next to the Bergfeld Center popped, you know, all the graves, you know, the the people are walking around the town. That's going to be a stir, man. Because guess what? Heaven was open. Heaven opened back up. I've, you know, I always love, you know, Hebrews 11, we call that the, the hall of faith. By faith, you know, we understand that the, the worlds were framed by the word of God, right? So that what is seen was not made by what, that which is visible. Basically saying like there's a, there's a greater dimension, a reality, that, that which is heaven, and it's more real than this world. That's Hebrews 11 too, right? And so, or Hebrews 11.3, but it's like, and, it, and then it goes and it says it's more real than this world, but there's all these people that went before us. And there's, there's one guy in, in Hebrews 11.22, by faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones. And I think a lot of people are like, well, you, 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 you see how Jacob, you know, blessed, you see how Moses forsook Egypt, you see how... All the judges, you know, Samson and all these people did these mighty things and Joshua and Jericho and all this stuff. But why is Joseph listed in the hall of faith just because he made instructions concerning his bones? You know who Joseph was, right? You know, he was the guy that was basically like, like Pharaoh in Egypt. Yeah. And, um, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before any of this ever happened. I mean, the, the Israelites were 400 years slaves in Egypt after Joseph. But Joseph, by faith, it says he made instructions concerning his bones, believing that they were going to inherit a promised land and that something special, maybe a little bit magical, was going to pop off there a little bit later. It's like, you know what I mean? So what I'm saying is there's a good chance Joseph's one of those people walking around Jerusalem, introducing himself to people. I don't know if he's wearing Pharaoh type of clothes or what, but can you just imagine these characters like, who is this? You know what I'm saying? Like, this is our Bible, y'all. The whole world was shook by this thing. Like, like oh my gosh, heaven is back open. This is the cloud of witnesses. This is like Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. It's like, wait, what? It's like, yeah, like there's heavenly witnesses all around. This is, this is the cloud of witnesses. This is for some reason heaven was ripped in such a profound way. That the unseen realm became seen and these people were walking around. None of them dead. Yes. Jesus said he's not the 
I'm not, you know, he's not the God of the dead, but the living God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's like, you know, was he meeting with Moses and Elijah? Were, there, were those dead guys that were come back from the grave? Just because they had died, you know, somebody has died, Moses had anyways, doesn't mean they're dead. It means they're just not here. But there was the evidence of the power, this justification, the power of this resurrection, this all-encompassing tearing of heaven that was opened onto the earth that people were seeing others. Hebrews 13 starts off in the same way. Don't neglect to entertain strangers, it says. For by doing so, many have entertained angels without being aware of it. It's like, hey, listen, you never know who you're talking to. You never know who you're interacting with. And this is how Christianity started. This is Happy Easter. It's not a, pay, it's not a, da, a harsh dad, you know what I'm saying, beating his son. Now you're sinner. Now you're saved. And, you know, you get to go to heaven when you die. Like, that's a different, that's a different religion. That isn't this. This is like, now you have been, past tense, redeemed by him. If you're not walking in this reality, repent, have a mind change, and turn yourself into who you... Turn, not turn yourself, but turn around into who you really are by following him. Because you're his imager. And actually see who he is. You know what I'm saying? It's just like what we, what we told the girls. The poison of the knowledge of good and evil when he was crucified was every accusation thrown against him of being that bipolar God. But he never, he never acted in suit. All he would say was forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. The tree of life was manifested there, bleeding out in front of us, right? And all he would manifest was life in goodness, in kindness. And that's what we've taught our girls. It's just like no matter, the cross was not, you know, a payment for God so that he could for forgive. The cross was the manifestation of God's forgiveness of the world, saying, hey, no matter what you do, even to me, I will never hold it against you. I will always forgive you. I will always be there for you. And that feels so contrary, but if it feels contrary, it's cracking up against something called a stronghold because it's not biblical. It's real. It's real. And Jesus come to manifest that truth. He, he literally says this in John 14, before any of this stuff, and these are the memories the disciples were having. Ha having I told you before it comes so that it was, when it does come to pass, you will believe. Such a funny statement. I'm telling you these things because you're going to not know what's going on, but then you're going to be like, oh my gosh, this is what he told us was going to happen, you know? He says, I will no longer talk with you much. This is Gethsemane, going to Gethsemane. For the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. The ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Mankind has believed that God is the bipolar. They believe God is the accuser. They believe God is, is the, the wrathful one. But that wrathful one's coming, and he's going to pull every trick in the book, you know, and he's going to put it on me, and he's going to unleash hell on me so that I will actually turn and strike you, but I never will. He has nothing in me. There's no button he can push. There's no trigger that will cause me to yield and not be who I truly am because it's impossible because I'm love. And God comes, and he manifests his reality to people. And so we see the cross, and we see they're seeing just complete utter failure, we're seeing the tree of life. That the only fruit that grows off of it is life. It's not attractive life, like the tree of the knowledge of fruit of good, of good and evil was very attractive, but that judgmental, wrathful, bipolar good and evil was in complete and total contrast to the tree of life. And this has healed mankind. 
This is fully restored and redeemed mankind. And then today we celebrate him popping out saying, it worked. It worked. The only person that heard him say, it is finished, is John. Because John was the only one close to him at the end with his mom sitting down there. And he told John, son, your mother, mother, your son, you know. And, um, but when he said it was finished, it was like, yo, it's done. And that's Jesus saying, I got it. I got all of it. I got everything that poisoned you. I've, take, I've, officially, I've officially filled everything up within my vessel. And now I'm going to take this and bury it where it belongs. And when he popped out of the grave, he didn't have it anymore. And we don't have to have it anymore. You know? We don't have to live that way anymore. And it's a mind change. And it's the reality of who he truly is. Even his brothers, James and John, like Jesus' actual brothers that wrote the Bible, wrote some of the chapters of the Bible. John, you know, Jude. Jude literally writes in the last book like it was Jesus who led the people out of Egypt. It's like they started to realize, oh my gosh, it was him. You know, it says the, the Lord in, in your King James who led the people out of Egypt. That says the Lord Jesus in the original text. And most of your Bibles will say that. Like they started to realize like, whoa, he's, he's God, man. He's, he was with God, but he also is God. And that's a, that's a mind bender. It's a mind bender. But there, there, is no, there is no God behind Jesus' back. God is one. And the love of God has been manifest. And the resurrection power that, he's the, that was the proof of, of who he was, what he's done, is actually is, is our, it's our bread and butter. That's what we're about. That's why we're here.